on today's episode of Gathering the Kings. I always say there's times in the lifetime of a business owner where you are playing defense and when you're playing floor. Defense, it happens. You get attacked and you kind of have to bounce back. Forward is when you're more creative, you have maybe a little bit more time. So I would say to people at home, even in marketing, you know, if you can think a little bit outside the box, whenever you have more time, how do you make your process or your product or your supply chain a little bit more unique? Yeah. It's tough because nowadays everyone does everything, there's competition everywhere, but right. sometimes there's ways of just twisting things a little bit and become unique yourself. Thinking a little bit outside the box without deviating from your business, but more in the way that you do things in the process should help anyone. You are listening to Gathering the Kings with Chaz Wolf, featuring fellow seven, eight, and even nine-figure business owners who have real battle scars from business and life, but have prevailed as the king that they are designed to be. We welcome high-performing entrepreneurs to the stage in order to reveal the real of the real on what it takes to build a successful business today. We dissect the good and bad decisions they've made along the way that give a true and accurate picture of the journey of success and how you too can get there. Through this dialogue, you will learn the value of growing your network and surrounding yourself with power players and kings like today's guest. Grab your pen and notebook because we're about to dive in. What's up, everybody? I'm Chaz Wolf, Gathering the Kings podcast. We're back today. Another king on the stage here, Ruben Benyauda. Ben, Ruben, how did, how did I do with your last name there? You did okay. Uh, you can call me Ruben. It's fine. And it's a pleasure for me to be here. Thank you. You know, I appreciate you being here. I appreciate the flexibility there. But as I've said many times here on the show, the name's important. You, my friend, are important. You're here with us today to serve and talk about your incredible business and journey. I'm so appreciative of that. What kind of business do you have, brother? I'll start by thanking you for being here. And it's incredible. You've done so many podcasts. It's a service for everyone out there. So anyone, I don't know the thousands or more, you know, lives that you touched. It's great. So pleasure to be here. And, you you know, I commend you for that. Great things. We're in the quick serve frozen dessert business. Okay. We have a gelato store. We can talk about the difference between gelato and ice cream, but we make things in a unique way. We make gelato on a stick and it's called pop bar. And we are franchising. Our bread is franchising. So we open locations throughout the U.S. and abroad. Yeah, I, I have to give the listener just a little bit of a peek because if, if they're in a position right now where they can go to your website, pop-bar.com, I literally have it in the background playing. And your homepage is just on repeat with all these extremely delicious looking treats. and But, but not so necessarily treats from like a... Uh, not healthy perspective. You've got a little bit of a twist on your brand as well, but we're going to get to all of that. The story, I want you to tell us definitely the difference between gelato and ice cream and all that fun stuff, why you're franchising. We'll get to that. But before we do, my first question is always the same. It's why, why are you doing it? Why'd you start it? What's the bigger picture? You've been successful, but you're still here. You're still pressing hard. You're franchising across the country. Why? I have to go back to 2008 or nine. My friend Daniel and I, we're looking to do something in the food business and we never, I never touched the food business. It's a tough business to be in, but I'm originally from Italy. I moved to New York a while back and we were looking in New York for, um, you know, 
something in the food business. Having said that, luckily, I guess I had the wisdom not to do a full restaurant because that's, you know, high chance of failure. It's just tough. I'm not saying, you know, to anyone at home not to do it, but you need much more help. And I wanted still to create a little bit of a mom and pop feeling. Feel. Yeah. And I think, it, I think it originated, I said to myself, look at all these frozen, frozen treat locations. No one really makes their product fresh. They're all, you know, their ice cream is made somewhere else months before, years before. No one knows. They ship it to the store. They defrost it. Can we have a little bit of a mom and pop? I make something fresh and sell it. And, you know, doing my research back then, I bumped into a Popsicle website and I said, ah, Popsicle kind of already exists. Can, can we create a gourmet version? And then being from Italy, I said, can we put gelato on a stick? So that's yeah. how the idea started, which is just yeah. an idea. Yeah. And then, you know, you go through as any other entrepreneur at home, a hundred or a thousand different, you know. Yeah. Uh, ideas and variations and you get finally you know discard and get finally to where you want to be or where you that's should right. be that's right so i mean obviously i mean the the gelato is attached to you and and where you come from and and you having this mom and pop feel but like what what's the deeper motivation for you wanting to be in the food industry or being even in business in general like like you said you said it multiple times actually business in general is hard, let alone food, but here you are in business and food. Why? Why? What's the deeper, like, Oh, this, I gotta do this. Why are you gotta do this? Look, another part of it is people eat obviously. And the food, not to bash American food, but especially at the time, all natural was, I'm not saying a foreign concept, but you got to look for it very hard. And one of the rules we put on ourselves from day one is we got to be an all natural store, all natural ingredients. And when that wave came a few years later, we, we didn't have to change anything like, right. you know, and it's tough, especially in frozen, like the toppings, people, you, you know, use crazy toppings and it's all crap and artificial stuff. So right. we didn't touch that. So that, that was a big part of it to create something that brings you closer to home. You, you, you know, anyone at home who wants to or is thinking about the food business, you can serve a quality product that is all natural and it doesn't have to be crazy expensive to make. So it, th there's ways. And that was a challenge, but it was a good feeling because usually artificial is cheaper, right? And that's why America got into, you know, the fast food nation or whatever, you know, right. they want to call it. Right. So that was a big part of it. And then, the, like you said, there's a visual process that I like, that I love still to this day. The pop itself, a pop is iconic. Like the figure of a pop is already, you know, pop art. The word pop itself, there's a lot of, you know, pop, pop. And at Pop Bar, when we started, and it was before the Instagrams of the world, when we right. started, you would eat with your own eyes. You would choose what you want to eat from not from looking at a screen, but from looking at, you know, the actual the treat look. and yeah. That, uh, yeah, what it looked like. And that's, that's an amazing feeling. So, yeah, I'm just picking up, you know, that you're, you're an experienced expert that, that, uh, that you're, you're trying to, you were, but, and you have created this, of course, healthy or all natural alternative really, or gourmet even it's like all these like really, really like awesome layers that you've 
put all in one product where it's like a lot of people go with gourmet, but you can't go all all organic or all all natural and gourmet. You know, you can't you can't be in the shop and have it fresh and all all natural. Like it just you all these things you said, no, I'm not I'm not gonna put any of those, you know, limitations on myself. I'm gonna make it the best and the best for you and the best looking and the best experience kind of all in one. I mean, I'm I'm literally captured by your website here. It's just like, you know, obviously with me, you know, being in the edible arrangements franchise world, like we we do treats, we we do yeah. beautiful things. We realize that people eat with their eyes, you know, people come in you know, do some short-term stints with us over the holiday timeframes, you know, Mother's Day, Valentine's yes. Day. And some of our temporary workers ask us like, how do you, how do you pick, you know, or some of our customers even sometimes will stop, you know, slow enough and, and ask like, well, how do you, how is it's It's the best <laughs> pineapple ever, every single time. Isn't that um, a good feeling? It's yeah. It's the best strawberry. I look at it. Yeah. It's perfect. And you go, well, yeah. There's actually a little bit of a process that goes in that we're fruit snobs, you know, like we only allow the best of the best to go forward. So I, yeah. I totally relate with you wanting to have that visual experience and, and then even the experience in their mouth being good for them. And on top of that, just this tasty thing that was made right in front of them. There's just yeah. this experience really that you're developing, I think is really incredible. So I'm pointing that out for the listener because they can do the same thing. It doesn't have to be artificial. It doesn't have to be fake. It doesn't have to be, you know, Instagram worthy where it's like this up front and then like not very good on the back. I think that what you've done is just this incredible display of real and it still tastes amazing, right? Yes, yes. And if I can add to that, Chad, because you can relate to, I always actually, I, I start my training to franchises with these words. The word treat is a very unique word. Because people need to have lunch or dinner. They need to, they can choose, obviously, whatever lunch or dinner they want, but their body asks them to have lunch or dinner. Right. A treat is a very different proposition because you choose to, you don't have to. Right. So when customers, you know, decide to have a pot bar, it's a, it's a you know, a reward, the word treat is essentially a reward to themselves but they're choosing to have something that they don't need to have which is also you know kind of amazing and rewarding yeah. well and because they're choosing you you know and which is a whole nother level of reward for yeah. you or one of your franchisees or even for the listener like it doesn't it doesn't have to be a, an appealing pot bar that tastes amazing it could be i chose this company because they remodel bathrooms Absolutely. incredible you know it's still the same rewarding feeling so i appreciate that let's let's get into a little bit more into your story you said 2008 2009 you're looking for food this is kind of how you stumbled across this give us a little bit more of that journey and and maybe how you ended up with what you have today just give us a few minutes there sure so we eventually found a spot in new york city the rent was insane yeah, and it was an insane thing to do. And for every, you know, wannabe entrepreneur at home, I always say it looked insane to a lot of people, but you know, to me, there was a part of it that was safe. It was a calculated risk. Let's call it this way yeah. to pay so much rent. And it was 2010. We opened, look, I always, for anyone in the food business, if your product, and I hate to call it product, I always try not to call the, you know, what we eat a product, because but but it is a product too. Right. If the quality is good, the taste is good, you are at least halfway there. Right. You know, then there's numbers are very important. We can talk about that and the presentation and visual and design. There's a lot more to it. Yeah. But 
if you don't have a quality product and you're in trouble a little bit because there's so much competition out there. And we essentially created a a process from the get-go. I didn't know if we were going to be a franchise, but I knew I was going to be some kind of chain. And to create a chain, you need much more than a one-off. Hey, I'm opening a store. Let's see how it goes. Not exactly like that. You know, supply chain, you got to check, you know, the prices are right. If someone was going to open in California or wherever else, a pop bar, is it going to taste the same? Is it going to cost the same? Right. You know, this is what it is to build the chain. So it, you know, the store in New York opened to a success. New York Times wrote about us. We ended up on the cooking channel. It, it, It was, you know, the first years and there's also challenges. So it's not all good, but yeah, we're a success, but we were gearing up and I was gearing up especially for the franchising. So you have to create a concept that is replicable. That's the trick. And in 2013, uh, we signed our first franchise, which opened in Anaheim, California in 2014. And from then on, again, it wasn't easy. It still isn't. There's ups and downs, but slowly, slowly you learn you make twists and curves along the way yeah. and you negotiate because every business decision is about negotiate, whether it's with yourself or That's with right. a supplier or with a <laughs> you know franchisee, you're negotiating, right. <laughs> whether you know it or not. And we have quite a few stores now and uh, you know the journey still goes, but still goes. thank God, you know, so far so good. Yeah. Well, I just appreciate the, the, the authenticity there about, you know, some of the pieces and and even when you started, how it wasn't always the easiest and that big old, I mean, I know what rent costs here in Kansas city. I can only imagine what it's in New York city. And for you to be able to take that risk selling, you know, a a very, very small ticket product. Yes. (laughs) I'm sure that was terrifying, but here we are. And so I just, I mean, the, the courage that you're transferring to the listener of you can do it. Like, do the research. Don't, don't be willy nilly, right? You said calculated risk, know the numbers, figure out what you got and then go for it. Freaking go for it. I want to, I want to ask you a quick question because one of the listeners might be listening or might be wondering why you chose the franchise model versus, you know, chain where you own them all. And then secondarily selling pot bars is completely different than selling franchises. They are two different businesses, which you created a business to sell pot bars. And then you created a second business to sell businesses, franchises. So yeah. speak to that for just a few minutes. Sure. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll kind of start with the first one. Why franchising? First of all, I'm available. You know, you, you can contact me on LinkedIn, but I, I like to help people in franchising. I'm not the most, you know, <laughs> there's other people that could be better mentors than me, but I'm out there if you need me. Franchising is tough. Because you give your baby and your concept to someone else. That's right. Hoping that they get 100% of what you give and they never get 100%. Right. If they get 95%, you're, you're still good. If they get 90, okay. Anything less, you lose control. Franchising, you lose a little bit of control, which is fine. As long as the core components and you have to decide what the core components of your brand are. You're good. And you, as I said, you deal with other human beings and you have to appreciate them taking your concept, spending a lot of money right. and replicating it and bringing it somewhere else, right. which is amazing. So talking about, you know, when we open a new store, it's probably the highest level of reward that I can get. So franchising, why do people go in franchising? 
you know, why did I? It's very simple. You can scale up faster throughout the country right. than opening your own stores and less capital is involved. That's why people do it. And the right. con is what I said. You, someone else is running the store with your name. So yeah. if they sell sandwiches tomorrow, obviously they, they may get into trouble, but that's what, not what you plan for your brand. Yeah. That's one thing. No gelato and, sandwiches, huh? <laughs> There's gelato sandwiches. I, you know, I was just, you know, doing, going something crazy. I know. I mean, first off, you gave so much value there as far as like why you might have chosen it. There's probably listeners right now thinking, man, I'll franchise my concept. And I think there's a lot of people that don't realize the the work that goes into setting up all the systems. Right. So and, that's exactly, yeah. It takes know. me take to your second question. You mentioned two businesses. It's actually more than two because when you start, you're essentially at the store, a manager at the store. That's how everyone starts. Right. Then you become the manager of a manager of a store. So that's right. already another business. And then you need to assemble a team to build a franchising. So you become a manager in an office setting. That's another business. And then you go out and become a franchisor. So you go through, you know, you have to learn, wear many hats and yeah. go along the way. Look, it, passion goes a long way if you believe in your concept you learn i, I didn't learn i didn't know gelato before. like I, I i enjoyed it i didn't know how to make it you can learn anything That's it's right. up to you you know it's up That's to you right. and how much you put into it so i don't know if the listener just heard that and i don't mean to make a point out of something that's possibly negative i think it actually is an incredible point that you just said there that you're not just an owner of a, of a gelato store you're the owner of a gelato franchise where you have other people in your system making gelato and you yourself, before you started, didn't know much about gelato. I think that's just an incredible, yeah. Yeah. you know, like, wow. If the listener isn't inspired, I remember, I remember choosing um, a, a business and I was looking to buy a business when I was 24 years old. And I specifically stayed away from certain things because I didn't know, you know, and for me, I was going to leave a, a career I was already making six figures plus as you know, a 24 year old. And so it's like, I, I wanted to do something that I at least had some confidence in. And here you are creating an, an entire franchise system around something that you barely knew about. And I guess obviously barely knew about is relative because you, you did a bunch of work in that before you launched. You literally have to study, you know, you yeah. have to be the best and that you're creating a system. So yeah. It has you became to, a master. You know, <laughs> you, yeah. I, I mean, you have to literally write manuals in yeah. franchising so that's yeah. part of it yeah all right well let's get into some decision making i i love good and bad decisions we all make both of them but i, I really feel like this is what makes you know a king right this is what we talk about a lot of times on this show but the king mindset is developed over the course of good and bad choices and we can look back ideally and we've made good more more better choices than than not so good but but we all can learn from those negatives Let's start with a good decision, something that you can look back on and you go, we did, we made this one decision right here and it's led to a lot of our success. What is that? Def, I mean, one of the best decisions that we made and it's early on, I invested in making our own ingredients and recipes wow. for our system. So okay. uh, at Pop Bar, we don't, you know, we literally buy the sugar that goes into our gelato, you know, one by one. And we created a system that is unique because we ship unfrozen or unrefrigerated bases and products to the franchisees. And each franchisee adds whatever is fresh, like the fruit and the milk on, you know, I told you it's and a little bit of a mom and pop store. So they, right. they, if they wake up today and say, Hey, I feel like doing some hazelnut gelato, they can, you know, they have a 
tons of recipes to choose for from maybe 70 or 80 recipes and counting. So flavors are, are not the problem. But back to the system, we developed a system where we pack our own base ingredients and ship them to the franchisees. Yeah. And that helped, number one, keeping the costs down because yeah. we don't have to go to a third party and buy XYZ. Number two, a little bit with the supply chain because who could have forecasted that later on, especially with COVID, right. you know, everything becomes a yeah. bit of a mess. So imagine, you know, uh, summer or spring is starting and you don't have a vanilla. You know, these are real, I face that challenge even with this system. Yeah. So I think earlier on having a handle and having our own unique proprietary recipes and system was the right decision versus depending on other vendors all the time. Right. You know, they can raise prices, they can go out of business, you know, they can be late in their delivery. We have not absolute control. No one has absolute control, but we yeah. have a handle and a grip on our ingredients. And still we make a fresh product in, in every location, which is our goal. So def definitely that was a good good decision in my, in my book. Yeah, I, I just appreciate that because I think every business owner wants control, but we also want freedom. And there's this like back and yeah. forth of like freedom and control are opposites. And so we create systems to try to have control and freedom, which sometimes bites us. But in this case, you having a more control allowed for your system to have some freedom, even in those kind of more sticky situations where you weren't able to, you know, maybe get the products that you're looking for, you're able to control that a little bit better. What would you say to the listener right now, hearing you and, and maybe they're not in the food business, how do they take your decision of controlling ingredients, controlling the sale, you know, the, the supply chain a little bit more? How can they apply that to their marketing business or to their home service company? What would you say to that person? Look, a little bit, I, I always say there's times in the lifetime of a business owner where you are playing defense and where you're playing forward. Defense, yeah. it happens. You get attacked and you kind of have to bounce back. Forward is when you create, you're more creative, you have maybe a little bit more time. So <laughs> I would say to people at home, even in marketing, you know, if you can think a little bit outside the box, whenever you have more time, to how do you make your process or your product or your supply chain a little bit more unique? Yeah, It's tough because nowadays everyone does everything, there's competition everywhere. But right. sometimes there's ways of just twisting things a little bit and become unique yourself. And yeah. I would think, you know, thinking a little bit outside the box without deviating from your business, but more in the way that you do things in the process should help anyone. Yeah. I love that, uh, that little unique piece of advice that you gave there of, of being unique. <clears throat> you know, I think that there's a lot of cookie cutter businesses out there, which there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not looking to reinvent the wheel is in fact, actually, what's why we have the show is the listener right now doesn't have to reinvent the wheel. They can listen to your wheel and, and just put their own unique spin on it. I still think that there's value in being unique. There's value in going to a blank whiteboard and figuring out something. But then when you have your uniqueness, whatever that looks like, go to the people in the industry or go to people on a podcast like this, listen to Ruben, who's maybe even a completely different industry and go, all right, I can still use a quality, very successful mousetrap. And I don't have to reinvent the wheel, but I can still be unique. There's a dynamic there that I think that we kind of like, you know, tote the line sometimes as far as it doesn't have to be completely brand new, but it's got to be unique to you. Absolutely. Ruben, what would you say for a bad decision? Something that you've done, you know, just it just did not work out at all. We can learn from it. What would you say? There were times and there still are because it's tough. Look, I think 
not money, but time is the most valuable things human beings have. So that's why I started by saying, whoa, so many podcasts, Chad. That's amazing. So sometimes you, and it happens to everyone, you get carried away into a project or an idea and you waste time. What is waste? Waste for me is working too long on something that doesn't add value to your company or to your life. Sure. to your brand and and what is value value is something that you feel inside as an entrepreneur like you know and you get carried away you're working maybe on a, a new flavor for months and that flavor is so unique and may, maybe this is a stupid example but it makes sense that flavor is so unique like how much is it going to change the whole proposition so you might or as nobody well ends up on, liking it you know <laughs> yeah no yeah, they have it but it's not like whoa i'm going there just for that so right right you know value is what adds value to the company and franchising you know that happens because you have a brand not only franchising anyone who owns a brand you know they want to constantly add value but you get carried away you get carried yeah. away and you always have to think Am I, what I'm working on, is it adding value or not to your company? Yeah. I mean, if this is a really big principle. You're calculating time, you're adding value, but it takes time in order to create value, take expertise sometimes, or it takes time to even get expertise. You said you had to study in order to become a gelato expert. So we use our time, but we are trying to use our time wisely so that we can add the most value possible. How does one listening right now go, okay, I know I got time. <laughs> we confuse them. No. I, how, look, how do I apply my time, game. but yet yeah. still be, No, it's you know, about like, the end game, Chad. What are you working on? Is that whatever you're working on going to change things? Going to elevate leverage. your company? Leverage. So that's about it. You know, are you creating a new product that can sell X, Y, Z? Do it. Spend time. Yep. I spent years on some product. Right. I, I give you another example. Gelato in Italy originally has eggs, egg whites, okay. to be honest, to be precise. But throughout the years, a lot of people got allergies. I mean, in, in America, we see that. Yeah. yeah. But original gelato had egg whites. About three years ago or four, I said to myself, can we take eggs out of the equation? Yeah. And uh, ice cream or frozen dessert more, and that's what makes it interesting more than any other food that I know of it's a science meaning you change 0.1% of your recipe you you may melt in a second it may not taste right it may not bite right it may be too hard there's a lot of things going on it's funny because everyone loves ice cream but there's a science behind so I decided to take eggs out because people have allergens and also on a financial I have to say, under a financial point of view, egg prices were up and down, you know, egg white prices. Yeah. And it took about a year, believe it or not, a year of testing because it's not a small feature. And yeah, in that, you know, we managed, I managed. uh, It was definitely a good decision. You don't really know how good, you know, you're doing, you know, you're increasing value. Yep. But in retrospect, and then what happened with COVID and supply chain and egg prices went through the roof. Like, who right. knows, you know, how yeah. much we would have you paid mean. for a pop if we still had that. But only the allergen aspect of it is, is amazing. And yeah. we did it. But I spent a good year on it. So if you ask me now, is it worth it? 
I say, absolutely. So anyone at home, don't, we're not saying like take shortcuts sometimes, yeah. <laughs> you know, Good. it takes long, but you got to look at the end game and, you know, does it make sense for your business? It is something that you want to accomplish or not. So. I love what you said, Ruben, because a lot of times we don't know if the thing that we're spending time on actually ends up being valuable. So I, I think you, you gave two incredible points. Number one, in the moment when you believe in something, be honest with yourself. Is this something that I actually believe is going to bring value short-term, long-term, like try to equate the value because you are changing your time, money, effort right now yeah. for this. And basically what you're saying is, Hey, you got to try to calculate that now. Okay, fine. I believe I'm in, I believe that there's value later. You got to calculate, you got to be able to go back. You got to be able to reflect and go, okay, was that worth it? And then after you do that two, three, four, 20, 30 times, you start building like a history with yourself of going, I thought that was valuable, but it wasn't understood. I thought that was valuable and it was understood. And so you start creating like, the, like a game of going, okay, I know what that felt like. And then it ended up working out. And so let me try to do more of those. Let me try to get rid of the other ones that didn't work out. Would you say anything to that? Absolutely. And look, there's nothing wrong in working on something for a month and then saying, no, I wasted my time. That's actually a good thing. You, you tried next, you know, right. you, you know, a, a few wise people said there's no mistakes in life. I just learned something new. That's yeah. the approach. It's tough because yeah. maybe you, you know, but as a, as an entrepreneur, I always say, don't let yourself down too much when things are bad. Right. You know, you're going to rebound. And the opposite is true. If everything goes amazing, like keep it humble and quiet. <laughs> okay. You know, yeah, celebrate, but you know, there's good times and bad times. So. That's right. That's right. I think there's a, there's a, a gratefulness there. We talk about in gathering the Kings mastermind, we talk about grateful, but not done. Right. I'm, I'm grateful thankful for what I have, the good and the bad, like what you're just saying. Yes. But man, we're not done. And knowing that there's so much more of the game to play and there's more of the potential and fulfillment that we have as entrepreneurs to be able to go after because there's still more of the story to be written. I want to know when it comes to decision, something comes across your desk today and maybe it's a, a, a pretty big decision. We make fairly big decisions on a regular basis. Is there a process that you follow? You know, a couple of, couple of things that you do on a regular basis that might help you make good decisions? Yes, it obviously depends on decision and what are we talking about? I tend to share, first of all, I'm not saying I make the decision, but I kind of put down the direction I wanna go. But then I always ask for opinion. I, I have a great team in New York. I, I definitely, you know, I hope, you know, I treat them and they treat me kind of on the same level, especially when it comes to decisions. And right. even if they're not related particularly to that decision, meaning, you know, I ask our designer about flavors, you, you know, it, it doesn't matter. Yeah. You kind of open up and share decisions and, and also, for big decisions, you, you try to go to mentors or, you know, figures that you have and obviously ask for their opinions. So a, another thing that I, I try not to take big decisions in one day, <laughs> you know, always yeah. sleep on it for the big one and take it easy. So yeah. every de decision, depending if it's a small one or a big one, has a little bit of a process, but definitely ask opinions, you know, and, and try to hear what everyone has to say points of view, you know, really change and make yeah. you think. So That's right. I mean, obviously having people around you, whether it's your team 
or even a mastermind group. It's it's literally why Gathering the Kings exists is to be able to have a board of directors of have other you know other people at your level and above that have maybe been through this situation or maybe they haven't, but they've got experience that can they can pour in and say, hey, I know a person or hey, based on my experience, you might think about X Y Z. And those types of decisions that you can go back and forth on can make a big difference. Over the course of time, you start hitting, you know, just better and better decision making because of the people that are around you. I love how you do it with even in your own team. You should absolutely be yeah. building a team of people around you that you can trust. And and even if they're the designer and they have nothing to do with the ingredients whatsoever, I love that example of asking their opinion because they're going to come to the table with something unique and different and potentially something that's super valuable. So I love how you're open-minded to that. I want to transfer to our speed round here. I want to ask you some questions that come at come at you in a little different angle. The first one oh, is boy. around your tracking, your KPIs, okay? And I like to say it like this. If you could only pick one thing, Ruben, to track forever and ever, what would it be? The accounting or the numbers of a business because no matter how great a brand visually looks, taste, flavor, everything I said before, I'm going to knock it down and say, if your numbers are not there, yeah, too bad. <laughs> Sorry, but not, numbers are king. I will say that. So, you know, definitely numbers, banking, or, you know, you know, accounting, no matter what business you're in, they have to make sense. Yeah, understood. Ruben, what kind of a resource, book, or something different that you'd recommend for a business owner trying to- I'll give you my one of my favorites, and I can tell you the one I'm reading now. I actually have it here. I can show it, but there's a book by MJ DiMarco, okay. uh, The Fast Lane Millionaires, pretty wow. famous book from entrepreneurs. And not only that, MJ has a forum that I read a lot, opens up your mind. So Fast Lane Millionaire, definitely- I don't know if I can say changed my life, but it definitely opened up my brain. Yeah. Yeah. And right now, I'll show it to you. Chris Voss, this book, Never Split the Difference. It's a great book. But, Read it multiple times. Uh, there you go. About negotiating, which we said before. Yep. You're always, I, I mean, even my wife is going to, I shouldn't say this, but even at home, you're negotiating. So oh, yeah. you're always. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah you're not you're, saying anything that we don't know. Where you're no, eating dinner tonight is a negotiation for sure. Yes, yes. But I, I'm in the middle of it and it's a great book so far. And it's actually skills that you use on a business level, but, you know, on yeah. a personal level. Yeah, it, it is a great book. I've told the story a couple of times, but when I went to buy my first multifamily apartment complex, I was in negotiation. I, I chose not to work with a broker just because I wanted to negotiate myself. And I reread that book or actually I listened to it. I had a little bit of a road trip and uh, three hours there, three hours back. And I re-listened to that entire book and was going back and forth using literal one-liners from that book to negotiate on this a small apartment complex here in Kansas City and uh, worked like a charm. It was beautiful. <laughs> nice, nice. Next question so for works. you is, is around intentionally networking or masterminding with other entrepreneurs. Do you do it? Is it valuable? What do you say? I say not only it's valuable, I, I used to think it's a choice. I... Probably in the last few years, I think it's not a choice. It's a must. You got to network. Luckily, with the internet and technology, it, it became much easier. Sure. Uh, imagine yeah. 10, 15 years ago, what you have to do to find someone in your industry. Yeah. Uh, I use, I started to use LinkedIn a lot yeah. uh, to connect with people. And I'm not shy. I connect and maybe nothing will come out of it, which is fine. Yep. And maybe you'll find one person to connect with, share ideas, and right. who knows what's going to come out of it. So I, I tend to be an 
open person, generally speaking. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so if I meet someone, I tell them about, you know, how our business works and I expect the yeah. same and that works. And then yeah. also, obviously, what you're doing with the whole system that you have set up, Chad, it's fantastic. And it is networking and it helps tons yeah. of people. So yeah. we thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we we are building a a system, right? Like you said, a, an environment where, where entrepreneurs can connect at a, at a pretty high level, whether it's on the podcast or in our mastermind. But the, the reality is that you have to first be open. Like you said, I mean, I don't want to skip over what you just said is that you have to value others so much so to where you're willing to send a message or respond to a message or go to a lunch or jump onto a podcast and know that potentially it wasn't worth it. Right. But you and I both know that we've done this enough times to where even though sometimes it's not worth it, generally speaking, overall, it is so worth it. It's actually pretty interesting that you said in the last couple of years that your value of networking or masterminding has gone through the roof. And I would agree with you. I think that as we continue to press further into what we call the king stage, you realize that leverage is more important. And it's not about necessarily the tactical and the warrior stage. It's about leveraging time, leveraging resources, leveraging key relationships. When you like, when you pull that lever and you understand like, whoa, all of that just happened because of that one person I met or fill in the blank, you start going, okay, whoa, let me, let me start recalculating what's on my calendar here because meeting Ruben today might change the dynamic of everything that, that is, you know, in my future. And yeah, you get one good piece of advice that turns into something. Don't. Yeah. Don't discount that. Look, also look at what other people are doing and how they're successful. Kind of pick, always try to, you know, when you meet someone, try to see what works in their life. And again, it's right. not, you're not copying anything. You're, you know, just taking hints of what you can apply to your business. That's right. I've got a question for you, Ruben, about family. I've got this deep-seated belief that there is no such thing as balance. And so here's <laughs> actually my belief, right? Is that as entrepreneurs, we are obsessive by nature. Like we we, we go all in and that's why we're successful in business. And so what I want to know is how have you gone all in on your family or marriage while going all in at your business at the same time? I take this occasion and this question to thank publicly my wife, Jasmine. She's the, you know, superhero in the family yeah. and a big, you know, mm, all, I would say the easy and straightforward answer is if she wouldn't do what she does. I wouldn't be here today. It's as simple as that. Yeah. Uh, we have four kids. Thank God we're blessed. Yeah. And it's, you know, go, getting to the office, the, the easy part of the day starts, right? <laughs> you know, at yeah. home is, is the tough part. But yeah. jokes aside, definitely you know, props to my wife, Jasmine. And um, another way of looking at it, we are obsessive and we're connected to email, social media all the time. And it's yeah. very hard. I'm, I would say this, Chad, I'm not a religious, I don't consider myself a religious or orthodox person. I'm Jewish. And in Judaism, we take one day off a week. Yeah. During that day, I don't check my emails. I don't open the computer. And I know it's a little bit against some people, entrepreneurs even would say, be obsessed, work every day. But that one day off, and it's off your own business. So I don't read anything popular related. Even if you read an email, like you want to reply. So right. I don't need, you can still be creative and watch Shark Tank or, you know, read read your books, you know. Yeah. It's, yeah. You can still do business, but take your mind off your own business for a day. For me, it's like plugging, plugging your phone or plugging your car 
and recharging. Yeah. And then the next day I'm, I'm more fresh. Yeah. Uh, and also that day you spend it obviously with the family, which, you know, gives you a purpose because yeah. at the end of the day, why are we doing all this? It's for right. the family. That's that, you know, we didn't mention that, but it, it, yeah. it's pretty clear. So I would say the answer is the family balance is that has to be there. And hopefully your partner is on board with whatever you do. Right. And right. at the same time, if at home, try it, take one day off your own business, see what happens. You, you may like it. Yeah, it, it's really good advice. So I want to just reiterate to the, to the listener that it's not just a recharge. It is, you're right. It is, it is intentional time, not only for the family, right? Because like I have intentional time right here. I'm on a podcast with a guy named Ruben. Like I, it was on my calendar. It was intentional. I showed up, he showed up. We were doing the thing. Is my family on the calendar? And whether it's on Saturdays or Tuesdays, it doesn't, I don't think that part necessarily matter. matters, yeah. Yeah. but the, the building it in. And then on top of that, even for you as an individual, you're right. We do the same thing weekends in general, but, but our Sabbath, if you will, is Saturday. And, and I just, I just try to just ease into the day. I'm so intense in all these things, which is great. I want to be intense with my kids too. And so I'm intense with like pancakes on Saturday morning, you know, yes. and I'm intense with you know, card games and I'm, you know, all these things, but it, it, in comparison, it's just like an ease into the weekend or the, you know, the Saturday, because it's just different. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing the, you know, the business tactics like you, like you mentioned. So I appreciate that perspective. Yeah. I got one last question here for you, Ruben. You ready? Sure. Yep. If you could whisper in the younger Ruben's ear, what would you say? I would say, don't worry. Everything will be all right. Because, you know, you, you, especially when you're young, you get overwhelmed very easily. Yeah. You know, you don't have a stick of a skin and every little problem becomes huge. And then in retro, if I think about it now, yeah. like I was worried about that, what? Right. you know, look at it now. And it's human nature, I guess. But if you can get a little bit of assurance that you took the right path and just yeah. Be calm and focused. Everything will be all right. I think that's 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 helpful. Yeah, our mindset changes over the course of time. I think that you've not only transferred courage, but you have given us a hope. Really, is what that is. Is like, man, if someone down the line a whole lot further that's been really, really successful is saying, "Hey, it's going to be all right." It hopefully for the listener, it you can hear Ruben's voice in your mind, whether it's now or in the future when things get a little sticky, get a little hard, because they're going to. Even for you, Ruben, they're going to get hard for you again. And you're going to remember your own boy saying, hey, it's all right. And 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 another 20 years from now, we're going to look back at this, this moment and go, man, I, I was so worried about such little things. Exactly. Yeah. Ruben, how can the listener find you? Number one, where are your locations? Where can we find this delicious right. looking product? And then how can they connect with you? You mentioned LinkedIn. Is that the best way? Yeah. So Pop Bar is throughout the US and a few locations abroad many states i would say the easiest go to our website pop-bar.com come and visit i always say people come in with a smile our job is to keep the smile on so come in with a smile get a pop get a gelato get a sorbet get a you know dip it in chocolate put toppings on it have fun so best way to find a pop bar near you is our website best way to find me is probably linkedin i travel a lot but linkedin is the best I am open always to help and, you know, talk to people and it's a great feeling to help anyone. So 
hopefully, you know, and again, thank you for organizing this and for a whole podcast, who knows how many you, but that's at the end of the day, a great feeling. So yeah. we, we tried to do it. Ruben, you've been just incredible here today. You've given from your story, from, from your family, even, even from your day. And because I know you're traveling right now and you're serving your, your franchise community, but Thank you for taking that time, that precious time, that valuable time and giving it to us. You've been incredible. We wish you blessing on your business, on your family, on all the individual Back franchise locations. Yes. yes. Thank, Thank you, you so much you. for being here, Ruben. Take care. Thank you for listening to Gathering the Kings today. I hope that you were able to pull out a few nuggets to go apply into your business right away. More importantly, though, I hope that you're realizing that it takes more to be successful than just being by yourself, doing it all on your own, carrying the weight all by yourself. What I have realized, not only in my own journey from multiple businesses and multiple different industries, and now interviewing literally over two or 300 other very successful seven, eight and nine figure business owners is that it's tough to do it alone. And so Gathering the Kings literally exists to bring together successful entrepreneurs. In fact, we are putting together one thousand kings specifically who are grateful but not done we're intentionally assembling kings who fight tooth and nail for their business family and communities and here's what we believe that in the pursuit of excellence in those areas that it ignites within us the responsibility to govern power and forge a lasting legacy so if that relates and and resonates with you and you know that you need people around you sharp qualified other very successful business owners, I want you to go to gatheringthekings.com. I want you to take a look at what we're doing and see if it makes sense for you to be part of our pursuit to 1,000 Kings. Talk soon.